So we're in this new little series, Forward to the Cross and to the Crown. I hope that you have a Bible in your hand. If not, raise your hand and they'll bring one right from the back and hand it to you. I'm wanting you to know your Bible, to read your Bible, to find your way around in it. And so if you need to borrow one, or you, I mean, of course you can just keep it if you wanted to, but just raise your hand. They're, they've got them right there. And turn first to Hebrews chapter 4, please. Hebrews chapter 4 is where we're going to look first. It is good to be back with you. Last week uh, I was up camping in Oregon with two of our grandchildren Kind of boring, I guess, compared to Pastor Derek's, you know, but we didn't open our, our supply cabinet and donate a sleeping bag in Barstow and then an ice chest in Las Vegas and uh, mittens in Mesquite and uh, sunscreen in St. George and our tent pegs in Provo. We just kept all our stuff in the car and we got there to camp. And um, uh, we were up in Oregon where the blackberries were at their peak of the season and I, like a criminal on death row, uh, you know, at his last meal. I mean, I had constant help from two little partners, one and three-year-olds. And, you know, have you ever noticed blackberries, they're always, the best ones are always just out of reach. So I just hold a kid up there, you know, and say, here, grab those berries up that way. And uh, had a lot of fun with that. I do think that Pastor Derek made a great point, though, that traveling changes travelers, and God has us on a journey. He's in the process of changing us. He takes us just as we are, but he doesn't leave us the same. And travelers live together. They t learn together. They take lumps together. Hopefully they care for one another. And God has us on this journey intentionally changing us to become more like his son Jesus and to get ready to be in his family in heaven forever. So Jesus traveled as well. You know, he traveled for us. He left the splendor of heaven to come and live here. And he was treated rudely, and he went back home with scars to show for his efforts and for his kindness. But in the process, he accomplished his work, and God said, well done. And just before he left, he told his followers or his disciples, make more followers, make more disciples. And God does the work. God is rescuing and gathering people into his family and into his kingdom. And so we do the inviting. We partner with God. So Jesus says, go make followers disciples. The, the how? That's the good question. How are disciples made? How is God rescuing and gathering his people into the kingdom of his son? How do people move forward? How do they grow? How do they mature in their faith? And one answer is some people don't. At least they don't seem to. They seem stuck. They seem content with the idea that if I showed up at church at my birth and at my uh, confirmation, at my wedding, and at my baptism, at my funeral, somehow I've done God a big favor by showing up four or five times in my life, and so he's going to let me into his heaven. And God wants more of a relationship with us than that. I can remember praying with a guy over lunch. We met for lunch, and he prayed, and he bowed his head, and he goes, God is great, God is good, and we thank him for our food. By his hand, we are all are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Amen. And then he looked up, and he smiled, and he said, I learned that when I was four years old. And I thought, and that might be true, and it's sad that your faith hasn't grown up with you because you're a lot larger, you know, and wiser now than you were when you were four years old. L have your faith grow. So look at the little diagram. I know we like to read this left to right where you go, the, uh, you know, the cross and then the crown. But, but uh, those are really the two biggies. The first is God is reaching out, and we reach out to draw people to Christ. And we come to the foot of the cross, and we are rescued by Christ because of his sacrifice there. But then he doesn't just leave us the way we are. 
He's in this process of growing us and empowering us, equipping us to be transformed, to, be, to live in his presence forever. And so we're kind of right in the middle of this. We're in five sermons on this, and this is kind of the middle one right now. And we're somewhere right between the rescued and the growing and being transformed part. So uh, the, we don't stop just at the point that we have said, Jesus, come into my life and forgive my sin. God gives us some tools to work with to help our faith to grow. And so the big idea I want us getting after here today is that God's word, proclaimed by God's people, and relying on God's spirit in God's timing and process, those are kind of what we're looking at for the tools. So Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says this. Are you there? For the word of, of God is alive and it's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God gives us his word because he wants us to know his thoughts. He wants us to know his way. He wants us to know the truth. He wants us to know this love story of reaching out to us with forgiveness and acceptance and compassion and friendship and love. So the message of the Bible, the Old Testament, which is about two-thirds of the book, is all the part before Jesus was born, but it all points to Christ. It basically says, you need a Savior. You need a Savior. And his name is Jesus. And then the New Testament is where God provides Jesus and Jesus comes into this world. Jesus is God. God the Father sent God the Son to be our Savior. And the first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell that story of biographies of Jesus' life and of how he lived and how he taught and did miracles and how he died and then how he, he came on the cross for your sin and mine and then he came back from the dead. And the rest is how God's, the, the, the book is how God's people grew in their faith and started churches and worshiped together and solved problems. And a lot of it's letters to different people or churches to help them. And that's based on that that we have developed. Here's how you do church. You need God's word in your life as your foundation. That's why God gave it. It's our guide. It's our authority. It's not just inspirational thoughts to improve your life. It is the word of God. And we need to see it as authoritative and to apply it to our own life. And if you do, you'll grow to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. So you need to read it. Think about it. Talk about it with others. Listen to it. Memorize it. Have it so that you are thinking of God's word when situations come your way. You're putting it through a filter of what does God's word say about that. Well, I want to look at a passage in Romans 10. So you need to go a little bit to the left. Romans 10, starting verse 13. Give you a minute to turn there. It says in Romans 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So God has sent his good news to us as a tool to bring us to repentance and to help us to grow in our faith and to guide our lives. So it's worth asking, what does God's word say? What did God mean? What does it mean for us today? And you have to go looking for it and listen to his voice. A few years ago, I took a college group 
on a retreat for a weekend. And so it's Friday night, and we're starting this retreat, and everybody's kind of relaxed, and it's after dinner, we're going to play a game. I think it was Trivial Pursuit or something like that. So there were going to be two teams. So we wanted to see who were smarter, the boys or the girls. So we had the boy, girls on one team and the boys on the other team, and there happened to be this uh, girl that was brand new to the group. Everybody else seemed to know everybody, but there was one girl who was new uh, to the group. They didn't understand, at least the girls didn't pick this up right away, but she was a brainiac type, you know, off the top chart smart. And so here we are playing Trivial Pursuit, but they didn't give her a seat, so they sat in a circle, so she graciously just kind of sat behind the circle. And so the first question was asked to the girls' team, and it was a hard question. This girl on the outside, the outsider, she just kind of said the answer. The girls kept deliberating, and they came up with an answer that was wrong. But the boys had heard her answer. They didn't know what the answer was either, but they went with hers, and it was right. The next time the girls were asked a question, they didn't, they didn't refer to their outside expert. And she, once again, just quietly said an answer. And they repeated the process. They came up with an answer that was wrong, and the boys over here heard the answer that the outsider gave, and they used that answer, and they, they won another point. They ended up winning the game just because they listened to that girl, and her own team did not. And God's Word is kind of like that. He's, he's not going to shove it at you. He's not going to force you, but He's always right. And if you read God's Word and live your life by God's Word and you listen to His voice, then you will grow in your faith and you know that you will be on solid ground, not just for now, but forever. So, for instance, this week you go, why is this important? Well, legislators in Sacramento this week voted 25 to 11 for AB 2943, which basically says... With this vote, elected leaders told churches and those with biblical beliefs uh, about gender and sexual orientation that advocating their views could get them into a lawsuit, could get them sued. That counselors are being restricted from being able to say to people, here's what God's Word says about the problem that you have if it has to do with his areas. And so these are people who are making laws for us that are not using the guide that I'm telling you to say, what does God's Word say and how do I found my life and my decisions on God's Word? And so it's bound to make a more hostile environment for believers in California. So, number one is God gives us as a tool His Word. And our response is to know it and to study it and to treasure it and to read it and to memorize it so that we have it in our hearts. And we do some of that by listening to sermons or, or being in small groups, Bible studies, gatherings of men or of women or of, of, of uh, uh, mixed. And uh, we have all of those that are going to be starting up again soon in September. And so... Just commend that to you. Be a student of God's Word. Number two, God gives us another tool of God's Spirit. Of God's Spirit. Um, just I'll read one little verse in, from 2 Peter 1.21 that says, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though they're human, spoke from God as they were carried along by His Holy Spirit. God sends His Spirit and He, he, he bring, brings it into a person and with the, the ones who wrote Scripture in the Old Testament, they were just filled with God's Spirit, so they were writing God's Word. It wasn't their idea. Even though God let them get their fingerprints on it and put in things that were uh, unique to their situation, God was speaking His Word through them. And God's Spirit gave us God's Word. So when Jesus left the earth, God's Spirit was given to each person who became a believer to live inside your heart, inside your life, so that God's Spirit is closer than your next breath or your next thought. In fact, turn with me to John chapter 14. 
Jesus is talking to his disciples in John 14. Once again, it's a little back to the left there. But he says this in John 14. If you love me, keep my commands. This is verse 15. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. It's the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. If you were to do some investigating about God's Holy Spirit, you'd find some amazing facts. The Holy Spirit is the agent that gave us the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is the one who guarantees our future hope in the kingdom of Christ. He regenerates us and renews our hearts so we can grab salvation. He transforms us and causes our lives to bring forth spiritual fruit. And this isn't just for the preachers. It's for everybody. And so everybody has the same Holy Spirit offered to them. Now, today's kind of a big day for me personally because we're having a baby dedication and it happens to be two babies because my two sons, Micah and Simon, each, their wives, each had a baby within one in July and one in August. And they were together and so they said, we ought to have them dedicated. So in the 11 o'clock service today, they're both going to be dedicated. So all the families from all those sides will all be here. Well, it, it got me thinking about when Simon got married up in Visalia, his new father-in-law-to-be wanted to go play golf. And they weren't too sure, what do you do when you're around a preacher? Are they different kind of than the rest of us, you know? And so anyway, four of us went to play golf. And so Simon's new brother-in-law got up first. He's a little nervous with a preacher in the group. And he hit the ball in the water. And then Simon got up and he hit the, he chunked his ball into the water. And then I'm up next. I get up and I hit my ball in the water, but it skips three times and rolls right up on the green. <laughs> <laughs> now, I had a lot of other shots I'm not telling you about, but that one, okay? Okay, then Tony, uh, Simon's new father-in-law, he gets up, he just skips the water altogether and just drops his, you know, about three feet from the cup because he's more serious about golf. And uh, so, uh, anyway, it was kind of fun to realize, they realized he's just a regular person, and uh, God's Spirit is, reaches out to all of us the same. It's not like somebody's on a different level than others. So to be praying, God, may your Spirit be fully alive and active and working in my life. And what do you want from me today? And listening to His voice is the way to go. God's Spirit comes alive in everybody when He's invited. And He gives us a boldness to speak so we can speak the words of Christ. In fact, turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. It's back just a little bit from John. You're getting back near the beginning of the New Testament. But Matthew 10, Jesus is talking to the disciples. And he says, starting verse 16, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard, because you will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what you are to say or how you will say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it's not you who will be doing the speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. I know sometimes we think, oh my goodness, what would I say about Jesus if I was put in a situation? And we think we're going to get tongue-tied or we're not as good as the next person in sharing our faith. And what Jesus promised him right here is when you're in that situation, God will give you exactly what you need to say. Even if you're being uh, persecuted or uh, harassed or 
uh, in this case, even they were being flogged in public because of their faith in Jesus. I heard about a counselor this week who's been taken to court several times. She's a Christian counselor, works with abused children, and she allows her faith to guide the advice that she gives to these children. And so she's being taken to to court because she names the name of Jesus. She's been pushed so hard so many times that she has no money left for a lawyer, so she's been representing herself and, and doing a good job of it. But she got discouraged recently, and she was wondering, why am I being so harassed? I'm trying to be a good person. I'm trying to live for Jesus. I'm trying to live by Christian values. And in her own prayer, she heard God say to her, it's not about you. They are against me. Just keep speaking for me. And that gave her peace to say she was suffering on behalf of Christ, who has, be, who has suffered on our behalf. So where is God's Spirit most evident in your life? I mean, look for it. If God's Spirit is alive inside of you, it's going to be growing. It's going to show. It's going to pop out somewhere. This week, we took a fishing trip with 48 fishermen, half of them under four feet tall. And uh, we do that every year. We take a, a boatload of mostly kids, teaching them to fish. And, and uh, so uh, I went along. The only fish I came home with were from Albertsons, but that's a different story. Um, <laughs> so we're standing around waiting to get started like you do in fishing. You do that a lot. You stand and, and talk. And there's this group of men talking. And one of them was talking how he'd been in an off-road Jeep race uh, out towards the desert at night, 50 miles, going as fast as you can in the night. And uh, they had a flat tire. Have you ever thanked God for a flat tire in your life? Anyway, he's explained to me in in this group that when they had a flat tire, they could jump out of the truck, crank it up, take the tire off, put a new one on, crank it down, put the equipment away, and get going, going again all inside of a minute. I was impressed, but that wasn't the most impressive part of this story. He went on to say, but I got to tell all of you, and he had six or eight guys around, I got to tell you about a God thing that happened. We had this flat tire. And my partner said to me, get out here and look. I got out and looked, and there's all this fluid on this side of the vehicle. We ended up determining that it was power steering fluid. He said, if we hadn't had the flat tire, we wouldn't have known that we had a power steering fluid problem because a nut had gotten loose. So we tightened the nut. We added a a quart or whatever we needed of power steering fluid. If we hadn't had that, we'd have been out of the race within three miles. Well, it got thing. The thing that blessed me was he had said this to everybody, anybody could hear, this was a God thing in my life. It was a God moment to think that God, with all the things that he's got to do in the universe, cares about a guy who's uh, in, a, in a dirt race in the middle of the night. Do you see what I'm saying? you see what I'm saying? This? That our God cares at that level for you. And the details that are important to you, you might never find yourself in a Jeep race, you know, out in the desert, but that whatever you find yourself doing, God is there, and he cares. And this guy was thanking God for a flat tire. So that was a new one for me to think. I could thank God for troubles that come my way because God is using those in a way that we can't necessarily see. So God has given us his word. He's given us his spirit. And our response to God's spirit would be to pray. Pray, God, May your spirit be very active in my life. May I see what your spirit's doing. May I be right in step with you. Your will be done in my life. God, use me. Work in me. Work through me to touch others. And God will be pleased. 
And then the third thing God gives us as a tool is God's people. Right here, God's people. In fact, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I know I've had you turn in a little bit today, but I want us to know our way around in our Bible. Ephesians chapter 4, I'm starting verse 11. God's people need to pull together, and we are so blessed with the church we have. Look at verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. So here you've got the leaders, all of those that Christ called, and then you have the followers, all the others who are believers, all working together. Verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith, which is a compassion for each other, don't you think? A caring for one another. And in the knowledge of the Son of God, we become mature. That is, we're grounded in God's Word. We're thinking God's Word. We're, we're thinking about God's Word. When situations come our way, we're asking, what does God think about that? How would Jesus respond? What does God's Word tell me for guidance in that? And we have that in our mind and in our heart. We become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Your growing up spiritually is important to the whole body of Christ so that we stay healthy and we stay strong and we help other people who are coming along. And so even on this scripture stuff, for instance, I know it's on the screen. We've had plenty of conversation. Should we take it off the screen and make people read it in their Bibles? Well, I want it on the screen and I want you looking in your Bible, okay? Because some people can't read when it's this small. <laughs> I guess they got to have it up there. And so I want everybody to be sure to be able to read it, but I want you to be able to find your way around and know your way around God's Word. So I'm still trying to do both. You could give me some feedback if you wanted later. So what we see here in this passage is that God does the work, and He works through people. So it's 100% God, and it's 100% us, that God uses His people, His fellow workers. He's raised up some to be leaders, some to be followers. All are gifted to serve in the name of Christ. God's people care for one another. They study God's word and they hold one another accountable and they're grounded and they're anchored and they're not tossed about by every fancy fad or, or thing that comes along in this world. That God's people help one another mature in Christ. Now we are blessed as a church that's multi-generational. Here at church today we'll have everywhere from zero years old to 100 years old. And most of us in between. And Paul, in the Bible, was talking to Timothy. He actually wrote Timothy a letter because Timothy was a young person that Paul took with him on his journeys, got to see what he did, got to see how Paul got uh, beat up because of the faith and stone and those kind of things, and Timothy was there. And then he planted Timothy in one of the churches to say, you stay here and be the pastor of this church. And then he was writing him letters to encourage him. And here's what he says to him in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So you see this pattern here. Paul is saying, the things you've heard from me, you share with others. It's this handing of the baton. It's kind of like, uh, you know, I do it. I do it and you watch. I do it and you help. You do it and I help. 
You do it, and I watch. You do it and have somebody else with you. And it's passing the faith that way. And Paul is doing that with Timothy here. And we try to do that here at church as well, where we're passing the faith along. I mean, it's God's people in action. So our response is we pull together as a church because God's Spirit gifts us and enables us to encourage one another. We're so blessed to be multi-generational. So I want to encourage you today, give you an assignment. Go out of your way to speak to somebody who's ha- twice your age or half your age. In other words, somebody who's not like you. You say, there's nobody here twice my age. Hasn't been for 100 years. You know? <laughs> then find somebody half your age. Because I was talking to my grandson this week, and you know what he whispered in my ear? He said, you're my favorite. Yeah, something like that. He's one. So, you know, I had to translate it a little bit, but... <laughs> But I'm sure that's what he said. It was encouraging. So you as well, pick somebody half your age, go encourage them. So let's review. How are disciples made? What tools does God use? God uses his word. He uses his spirit. He uses God's people. And then the fourth I want to look at is God's timing. God's timing never seems to be quite what we expect, is it? Seems like we're waiting, 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 or God pushes us sometimes in ways that we don't. In other words, God's timing. How do we learn to be right in step with him? Paul said this. In fact, please turn with me to Philippians 3. Philippians 3, verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. And I participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This passage is written by Paul, but he's really speaking for all of us. He said, my life was going in a certain direction, and maybe it was pretty good, thank you very much, or maybe it was pretty awful, oh my goodness. Either way, at some point, he says, I reached a crisis. What do I do now? For Paul, this crisis came in his career when he was fairly young, and he was just starting to take off. He had been given the job uh, to be the primary person persecuting this new movement called Christians right after Jesus left the earth. Here he is living in darkness while thinking he's the enlightened one. And suddenly, as he's traveling to go arrest people uh, just for loving Jesus, he is struck to the ground by a bolt of lightning, and he hears a voice speak to him from heaven. In fact, he told this story in court one day. When he was uh, talking uh, to, uh, uh, to the king, and here's what he said. It, this is in Acts 26. He said, I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission from the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing all around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked him, well, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have a 
appeared to you to anoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul says, I'm forgetting what was behind the murder that I did, the other things that I did, the unkind things I did, the sin that I got into, the things I failed to do for God. I'm forgetting all of that because of Jesus. And I am running passionately forward to what God would have for me. You see, the process here is first one momentous step of salvation and then these incremental steps of growing up over time, of choosing to put Christ in charge in your life and let him guide you. And so when we do that, there's still plenty of work left to be done. We need to put to death the deeds of the body, to learn to observe Christ's commandments, to trust God even when his timing seems to take so long, to suffer, to realize that suffering produces endurance and character and hope, and to grow in our patience and in our endurance and perseverance. Becoming a fully devoted follower of Christ is a process, and God is never in a hurry. He's never late. He's never in a hurry. And the Christian walk is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's delightful at times, but it's grueling at other times. And we have to choose to trust God even when things aren't going our way or especially when they aren't going our way. And choose an attitude that says, I will persevere. I'm going to hang on to Christ above everything else. I will abide in Christ. I will trust him regardless of my circumstances. And when it looks like there's no hope, I will still hang on to Christ. Do you know the children of Israel had a situation like that? You can find it in the book of Exodus. They'd been released from Egypt because of one of the plagues where the firstborn was put to death of God saying, let my people go. So King Pharaoh said, okay, get out of here. Then they left. Then he changed his mind and sent his army after him. Everybody in the army had had a family member die. Everybody's feelings are on edge and they're going to get even, and they're racing out to these children of Israel, and they're all upset, and they're ready to take it out on someone. And the children of Israel have the army coming this way, and they're pinned in by the Red Sea on that side, and there is a certain amount of fear, and then suddenly God steps in and produced fog. I mean, give credit. God was at work. You ever been in a fog? You don't know which way to turn? Give God some credit. Maybe he's doing something that you can't see. And you just still got to trust him. And then while God's got them all in a fog, he sends the, the wind experts over this way and they open a path right through the middle of the Red Sea. In fact, it says they walked through on dry ground. And then when they were through, the enemy said, hey, there's a way. And they tried to follow them through. And God then closed the sea and drowned all of their enemies. And later God said this about it. He said, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you myself on eagle's wings and I have brought you to myself. It's the same God that we serve today. He carries us when he needs to and brings us to himself. And he goes on to say, now if you fully obey me and keep my commandments, covenants, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. <coughs> You're my favorite. Although the whole earth is mine, <coughs> you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Our response <coughs> to God's timing is to persevere, to never give up. Shall we pray?
God, you have us on a journey. We are travelers. And I pray that we'll keep that in perspective and keep traveling. That we'll set aside the things that would hold us back, even things that seem good, so that we can reach for the better, for the best, for Jesus. To listen to the voice of your spirit and to just obey you and to follow you. And in the process, to know your favor and your joy and your presence and to hear you someday say, well done. So I pray that you will help us in that. Now, wherever we are on that continuum, we will recognize that we are moving forward with you from the cross to the crown. Amen.